Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome to another edition of The Waggle, podcast brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca and myself, Donovan Bennett. And this is a playoff edition. That's right. We have finally made it to the postseason. The Eastern semis are up and we're going to break it down and... It's tough to break down when I look at the matchup. I don't really know what trend to follow and really what team I believe is going to be here from Hamilton and Montreal. When you look at historically, road teams have won three of the last four Eastern semis. However, Hamilton is four and two at Tim Hortons Field, and both of the losses were really close. And if they are able to get through this, they won't have to leave Ontario to win the Grey Cup. As you already know, they are hosting the Grey Cup Make sure for all of your Great Cup week festivities, go to CFL.ca for all of the information. But we're not there yet. We have to break down the game, the road to get there. Obviously, we've got a big game in the West, the Western Division semifinal. For that conversation, I'm going to talk to Pat Steinberg on Thursday. But right now, I'm going to talk to Marshall Ferguson about Hamilton, Montreal. Three good quarterbacks. Will any of them play well on Sunday? And will they have some fullbacks beside them in the backfield? All that and more on this edition of The Wagon. Finally, we are here. Eastern Division semifinal. No crossover. The parody in the East is back. And we've got two teams that I think expected coming into the season to be sitting at home right now, not because they missed the playoffs, but because they had home field in the Eastern final. Ticats, Owls, and I don't know if I've had more quarterback questions and conversations about a playoff football game than this one, Marsh. Why don't we start with Hamilton? who's looking to get back to a Grey Cup that's going to be in their own backyard. I'm not convinced that Jeremiah Masoli gives them the best chance to win, but I am convinced he's going to be taking the opening snap on Sunday. Should he be, or does Dane Evans ultimately give this offense and thus this team a higher ceiling? Yeah, it's such an interesting question, Donovan, because you basically are looking at narrative versus reality, I think, for a lot of Hamilton Tiger Cats fans on which quarterback gives you the best opportunity. But you also have to kind of strip away all of those biases or what you've thought of people in the past or, uh, you know, what you thought of Jeremiah two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, what you thought of Dane in 2019, what you thought of them in the offseason, how you judge ACL recovery. Like you have to take away all of those things and you just have to watch them play in the last couple of weeks and decide who's got the hot hand because the only thing that should matter right now to the coaching staff and to the Tiger Cats is who has the the hot hand and who's going to be most effective for you. So I wrote last week on CFL.ca about Jeremiah trying to seize the moment and I went back through and looked at one kind of metric that I use which is pass play production grade. So anytime they call a passing play how much are you just producing because this is a production based business and then kind of parse that against games and how often they've asked you to throw so kind of workload versus production and what i came away with was weeks 12 13 14 when jeremiah was starting those are the three best quarterback performances of 2021 for the hamilton tiger cats 
his week 15 where you're saying, oh man, he went into Toronto and that was a must win and they could you know, still have themselves alive in the East Division. You look at the way that that played out and it came out of the game, this story of, well, Jeremiah's falling apart down the stretch and it doesn't make any sense why to keep him in and you need to make the switch right now. And if you're a fan, like you're absolutely allowed to have that opinion. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way and being able to, you know, wave the flag of I love Dane Evans. And trust me, I live in Hamilton. There's a lot of people that feel that way. I was working the game against Ottawa earlier this year at home where Jeremiah runs down the right sideline and gets popped in the face and his helmet comes down and gives himself a bloody nose. Dane Evans walks onto the field and the first step that he has on the field, there's cheers. And Dane has to basically tell the crowd to shut up because he's like, no, my dude's hurt. Like, I'm, I'm just coming in in relief of him. This is not a seminal moment where we are changing the guard at quarterback and Jeremiah's never coming back. And sure enough, Dane came in for a couple of series. Jeremiah got his nose plugged up, came back onto the field. But to me, that was a pretty telling moment where it's like, okay, there's a divide here in Hamilton, which go figure, Hamilton people are opinionated about their quarterbacking situation. I, I don't think that that's anything new. I mean, this goes back to Kolaros versus Masoli. This goes back to Kolaros versus Henry Burris. This goes back on and on and on. You can go back through history. This is a passionate football town that loves to believe in somebody and throw their weight behind somebody. And so I think right now, a lot of the weight on the social side, I would say, social media or socially when you're sitting at the coffee shop and talking to your friends is behind Dane. But I also know as a former backup quarterback that people love backup quarterbacks, even if the starter might actually be the right answer. And the production grades out to say, you know what, Jeremiah probably is the right answer right now if he can get into his rhythm. Now, what would it take for Dane to get an opportunity to actually play in this game? I think is an interesting question. I think it would essentially take a 2018 East final performance where you throw two interceptions right into the chest of defenders the way that he did against the Ottawa Red Blacks and know who the quarterback was in the 2018 East final on the other side? Trevor Harris, which is the same thing that he's going up against in this game, albeit for Montreal this time around, not against Ottawa. So there's a lot of things at play for the legacy of Jeremiah. I'm not convinced that he gets another kick at the can at this with the Tiger Cats to play in a home grade cup in 2023. I think that only magnifies the challenge that's in front of him right now in this offense. But I also would not have bet on Jeremiah being a Hamilton Tiger Cat in 2021 if you would have told me that he was acquired in 2013-2014. Because the longevity he's already had with the organization is kind of crazy. But the odds are really stacked against him getting another chance at this. And I think he realizes that. So he's trying to seize that moment. And I think he does take the first snap. I think he takes as many snaps as the game allows, as long as he is not making major mistakes. I think they'll allow him to play through it. I just, I, I'm with you, Donovan. I don't know what the threshold is where they say, you know what, we're only getting 15 possessions in this game and we haven't made the most of the first five. Are we willing to bet that the next 10 are going to be better? Or are we going to say, you know what, the, the next 10 might be better if we go to number nine instead of number eight. And, and I don't know what their cutoff point is for that decision-making process. Well, there is no decision in Montreal. Trevor Harris is the starter he's brought in for a very specific reason there's really no debate but there is some debate about his clutch gene to steal a term that's a ridiculous term from skip bayless he has had some <laughs> regrettable moments in the postseason he's actually had some really high moments where he was lights out 
in the postseason. This postseason, people are using his name in reference to Zach Claros, and maybe he could be the exact same elixir for the Alouettes and their off as they go on a quest to go on a run on the road and win a Grey Cup. Is that a fair and realistic comp in your eyes? I think that there are elements of it that make a lot of sense. Like the, the easy connecting of the dots, uh, I would say, obviously, is the late season acquisition, the quarterback who gives you that burst that goes over the top. The, the difference is that they were playing the game essentially in two different ways. And what I mean by that is Zach with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 2019, and it's carried over to 2021, he was being asked to play Bombers football, okay? And Bombers football is essentially, and I don't want to you know, pigeonhole them or put them in a box because Paul Apolise would not like saying, hey, here's exactly what we do. And I don't think Buck Pierce would appreciate saying, hey, you know, we're just following what Apolise did in 2019 because each team is different and each setup is different and the stats kind of bear that out. But the reality is first down run percentage for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 19 and 21 is pretty significantly high. And at various points, you've seen the Winnipeg Blue Bombers just lean on Andrew Harris or Brady Oliveira or Johnny Augustine or Nick Dembski at various points. I mean, those four Canadians that are kind of multiple backfield weapon options, and they're able to go through them and try and change the pace, but really they're just, they're leaning on that and that style and that tendency. For Montreal, a lot of the time, they're going through one guy, obviously, and William Stanback. Like, it's it's why I think he's going to be the East Division nominee for the most outstanding player. And when the defense has to key on one person instead of a multiple backfield from a bunch of different weapons, that's one difference that I would say. Like, Trevor is dealing with all eyes on him and one other guy in the backfield. Because I, I just don't think that there's a threat coming at the defense from a bunch of different places. So that changes up one thing. And then the other thing is that Zach, and I, this is, I kind of love this analogy uh, because I, I realized going back through the targets of Zach in 2019, when Winnipeg acquired him from Toronto after he'd come over, obviously, from Saskatchewan and the injury to start the year, they didn't acquire one quarterback. They acquired two. They acquired first down Zach Laros. And they acquired second down Zach Kalaros because those are completely different quarterbacks. Like the first down guy is like, here, I'll play the team game. I'll sit back and I'll hand the ball off and we'll do some some zone read stuff and I'll throw some bubble screens and maybe some smoke screens. And and second down, that Zach Kalaros that they got was a wild man. It was like, hey, man, let it fly. We brought you in here to go and convert on second down for us and give us an opportunity to win every game because converting on second and long often is the differentiating factor for offenses to have success. In Montreal with Trevor Harris, they have not acquired two different quarterbacks. Trevor is extremely consistent. Trevor knows what he does. His approach has not changed from what I have seen in terms of targets and depth of target and accuracy grade and run pass percentages. Second down, essentially, he's the same guy that he's been in Ottawa in a lot of his history and the same guy that essentially was in Edmonton. So he has less of that that great divide between first down, second down, and he's being keyed off of one player in the backfield. So it's a little less multiple. It's a little less aggressive on second down. But the impact, I mean, who's to say if they end up winning in Hamilton and go to Toronto and get a victory and go back to Hamilton representing the East, who's to say that he's not going to feel exactly like Zach Kalaros? Because you don't have to play the exact same style or have the exact same tendencies in order to accomplish what Zach did. And I think that he will realize that. And I also think he's embracing the moment, which I, I think from a sports psychology standpoint, 
that was really the magic of Klaus in 2019 was he realized the opportunity in front of him. And and let's look at this from Trevor's perspective as well. You go from a really difficult situation in Edmonton, you get traded to Montreal, and you're being looked at as the third of three teams and Toronto's so good and Hamilton's so powerful. Well, I guarantee Kahari Jones is not saying, hey, let's let's kiss the feet of Hamilton and Toronto on our way through the East playoffs. He's going from a, hey, you're out of the playoffs, it's a bad year, you're getting benched for Taylor Cornelius, to, hey, here's a playoff game. And I think that's going to be an amazing opportunity for Trevor. And I think that the veteran nature of him will embrace that opportunity and make the most of it. So, I mean, Montreal's dangerous. They're really dangerous just because there's a lot of that that sports psychology wrapped up in opportunity, wrapped up in X's and O's. Well, having said all that, what is the best case scenario for each offensive group on Sunday? Yeah, I think the best scenario for Montreal is William Stanback is a dominant force, the likes of which the Hamilton Tiger Cats have not seen in quite some time from a running back. And it's for all the things I mentioned that are different offensively from the 2019 Winnipeg Blue Bombers, if they can follow the formula of Winnipeg just owning the line of scrimmage from that 2019 Grey Cup, I, I don't think anybody in Montreal will complain. Like That's the absolute best case scenario for a direct line towards a victory, I think, at this point. But for Hamilton offensively, I think it comes from, and again, this is a little bit kind of representative of what their 2021 season has been. If they're able to get the names like Acklin, Dunbar, Tim White, Don Jackson, if they're all in the passing game able to get five targets each and they're relatively high production, whether it's three catches or four catches on five targets each, if Masoli slash Evans combined, if we see both of them or maybe just one of the two, if they're able to complete somewhere up around 70 to 75% of their passes and they're throwing for combined or just solo somewhere around 300 yards, I think that that multiple attack for the Tiger Cats in the passing game is what should be able to put them over the top because if Braylon Addison comes back, that's going to be a game changer. If Brandon Banks finds his legs as he did in the 2014 East Final when he just absolutely terrorized Montreal with those kick and punt returns, then that's going to end up playing a huge role in this game as well. But for me, it feels like in the at least early stages of analysis, looking through all these things, Montreal has a very clear line towards victory, and it's different than it was with Vernon Adams Jr. Because with VA, it was all about how much can we sling it up and down the field and be aggressive and hit these home run shots. And their mentality with Kahari Jones and Vernon Adams and Geno Lewis and Jake Wenicke was, we're going to throw 10 haymakers, and if we can land four of them, we feel like that's enough to get us by. Now with Trevor Harris, it's like, we're going to throw maybe five haymakers in this one. If we land one, that's great. But really what we're going to try to do is bludgeon you to death with William Stanback, and we're going to try to complete 85% of our passes. And the idea of the perfect game for Trevor, I mean, you don't have to look very far, Donovan, through his history to realize that the framework is there. Like the guy knows how to win in the playoffs, and he knows how to do it systematically. And it might not have been good enough at various points in the Grey Cup to put them over the top in Ottawa and win championships. It might not have been good enough in the regular season in Edmonton to be a game changer. But at various points in his career, he's been able to say, you know what, I'm going to throw crossers and checkdowns and flat routes and curls and I'm going to complete over 80% of my passes, and I'm going to own the time of possession, and then when I need to, I'm going to make a couple of great throws into the end zone, like he did in the 2019 East Semifinal for Edmonton in Montreal. That was the same quarterback that I saw 
in the game this past week, week 16, end of the regular season, where he's playing against Ottawa, and they end up losing the game, but he's making a couple of these throws in the front corner of the end zone, or even the week before against Saskatchewan, I believe, where he's just he's picking a spot and he's throwing with anticipation. And if he can do that, then they're in a really, really good place because the formula is there, and whether he realizes it in-game or not, you can kind of sense as a fan in-game when Trevor Harris is following his perfect script because we've seen it before. And when he gets into that rhythm, very, very rarely is Trevor in a great rhythm, throwing with accuracy, throwing with anticipation, and then all of a sudden snaps out of it and becomes mediocre. When he's in it, he's really in it, and he does not come out for the entire game. So for me, there's very, very different two ways for them to have success. But the perfect game for Trevor versus the multiple attack sprinkling in some of their big-time playmakers in the passing game for Hamilton. It feels like that's the way those two teams want to win this game. Once the punches start flying, actually, in the game, and it's anybody's guess, they'll, they'll do anything they can, obviously, to win and get through to advance and take on the Argonauts. But that's the way it feels like is their ideal scenario. Well, the one thing that these two offenses have in common is they got fullbacks that they use, mm-hmm. not just... As wedge breakers, but as playmakers, or really, <laughs> maybe maybe I should say H backs to be more technically correct. But I'll yeah. say fullbacks. Shout out somewhere, Dwayne Ford is jumping up and down and hugging everybody around him, or drive blocking everybody around him. What can you know the lovers of traditional football, traditional power sets, but really? Just figuring out smart ways to use your athletes in space and at the point of attack. What should they be looking out for when it comes to fullback usage in this matchup? Yeah, somewhere Dwayne Ford is wearing a Western Mustangs purple hoodie on national television, just roaming the landscape and looking for somebody to talk to. It was, uh, which by the way, I texted Dwayne after I saw that coming back from the Eighth Cup. I said, "Hey, I just saw the purple hoodie." I'm like. You're the best, man. And they just said, well, the best part about this was nobody knew that I was going to do that because the logistics coming back from break on the CFL and TSN, I know from doing games between this year, is that you end up going to break for quarter time and then you have about 90 seconds until the camera comes back on you. And he said, I just, I whipped off my suit jacket and I threw on the Western hoodie and I got some applause from people in the truck. But also... I didn't tell Rod Smith and I didn't tell my producer. Nobody had any idea. So he basically just dive bombed the broadcast with the uh, with the purple western hoodie which was great. But yeah, I mean it's uh, the reason that I, you know, full disclosure, I I dropped some notes to to Donovan on what I wanted to talk about in this podcast and the one that I was really interested in is this fullback H-back usage because as you say DJ like it's not as though you're just lining up somebody in an I formation and they're lead blocking all the time like there's pretty dynamic athletes on both sides of the ball on these teams that are are getting their opportunity to actually make an impact in the game and the numbers have shown out in that way throughout the season because the Hamilton Tiger Cats throughout the entirety of the year have been in more fullback usage personnel, I guess we'll call it, than any other team. They have a fullback, and really for them it's Nikola Kalinic, obviously is is their main guy that they're using, in on 43% of their snaps. And that's about 20% higher than any other team in the CFL, or the CFL average, I should say. The second highest usage of fullbacks is actually Saskatchewan, but basically right there behind them is Montreal. And the interesting thing for me about this is that Montreal started to kind of have this uptick in fullback usage 
when they started using Spencer Moore a little bit more. Christoph Normand was getting some snaps throughout the year, but Spencer Moore really changed this up for them. And it really started to change when Trevor Harris came in. Because when they had Vernon Adams Jr. in there, they were spreading out and going five wide a lot of the time. And a lot of the time that didn't include the fullback because they were throwing it all over the place. But they've got a little bit more of that fullback usage in the game plan now with Spencer Moore and now that Trevor Harris is there. And I don't think that the fullbacks are going to decide this game. It's going to come down to offensive line play and it's going to be about deep shots and playmakers and who makes the big difference in returns and who gets the turnovers on defense and all the typical things. But if you are a CFL fan, I wanted to point this out for you to watch something closely, which is the fullbacks, they're going to have an impact on the game. And it it might not be on the stat sheet, but when you see Spencer Moore, number 80, check in for the Montreal Alouettes in the formation, or when you see Nicola Kalenic check in for the Hamilton Tiger Cats, like watch them because they're going to be on the field more than essentially any other CFL team will use players of that body type and that position. And those guys are doing the dirty grind work. A lot of the time they're blocking the backside defensive ends on inside running plays. A lot of the time they are leading out in front, chipping and getting to the flats. And I think when you end up seeing all of these things kind of pieced together, you realize there's a real opportunity for some play action shots down the field where you load it up, you bring in your fullback, you show an extra offensive lineman in the formation, and maybe it's second and three, second and four. You know, you're on the plus side of the field going into score from the 30 to 35. That's that's a perfect opportunity where if, if you see the fullback come in, as a fan, I'm starting to think, okay, they, they might just hand this off and try and pick up the first down. Or maybe Tommy Condell or maybe Kahari Jones dial up something unique here in the game plan playing off of their tendencies of having these bigger bodies in the game because playoff football to me what's so great in the cfl is you have usually 18 games over 21 weeks to set up tendencies and then you get to break them in the playoffs and it's so great to see those tendencies get broken and this year obviously with the 14 games over 16 weeks you've got yourself an opportunity to break those same tendencies and again going back to winnipeg in 2019 that was a big key to what they did offensively was that they were able to say Chris Strathler doesn't throw over 20 yards oops he just threw a touchdown down the middle to Andrew Harris in the Grey Cup Andrew Harris didn't have a target over nine yards down the field the entire year and on that touchdown pass it was like 26 yards down the field in the middle of the end zone that he ended up catching it so that was a tendency thing where these teams watch film going into the playoffs and say listen Streffler doesn't throw deep and Andrew Harris doesn't run deep. And then the first thing they did in that Grey Cup was break that tendency for both. So, you know, maybe we'll see them get some touches in the game. But really, I think seeing them in there, there's going to be some heavy tendencies that might lead to some deep shots, play action, and and some big difference-making plays in this game. Dwayne Ford is giving a fist pump, not just because they're (laughs) fullbacks, but because they're U-sports athletes. And why don't we... Fittingly, as we spent time in Kingston for the Yates Cup, and there are still a couple cups to be handed out in Canadian college football. Why don't we spend a little bit of time talking about the level of football that we've seen and are expecting to see in the Mitch Bowl and UTech Bowl and eventually in the Vanier this week. You will be doing the call in the UTech Bowl this weekend. And we saw in Kingston two offenses that also heavily used fullbacks. When you look at the final four teams left standing in a year where football at the amateur level is back in a strong way considering we lost the year 
And I know we lost a year in the CFL, but that's a year of growth, development, um, of reps. What do you think of going into, you know, these national semis and eventually the Vanier a little bit further down the road? Well, I loved what you had to say before we actually began the game broadcast from Kingston in the Yates Cup on Saturday, which was like looking at this in the big picture, it's pretty amazing to have university football back in a in a big way. And I think we need to be thankful for that first and foremost. And And I'm glad that you were able to get that into the broadcast as well on Saturday, because I really do feel like, you know, at the start of the year, I've kind of laughed a couple times this year, DJ, where... CFL fans have been at the start of the year they're like we'll do anything to have our CFL football back we miss it so much we miss it and then the second that the CFL season starts or you know maybe you're in Ottawa or Edmonton your team is struggling a lot of people just snapped back into the like this is trash I'm angry about that I don't like this I don't like that player my quarterback's bad and I'm I'm like whoa 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 where where do all the Where'd all the positivity go? Like, where'd all the love for the game? I think we forgot about that a lot because we snapped back into football fan mode or football follower mode or football media mode at times. And I've been guilty of it too, where I'm just, you get into the rhythm and it's nice to just take a second and go, man, I'm, I'm standing on a university football field watching really high-level competition right now. And I actually had that moment with a CFL scout when I was at the Yates Cup where at one point, and you might notice this as well, the Queens, I think, band or the, the cheer team ran onto the field at the end of a quarter. It might have been the end of the first quarter, and it, the quarter had not ended as of yet. And it was just so ridiculous and silly. And I was like, I really hope this play doesn't go long because the cheer team's down there in the end zone and this might become really awkward. You know, the band is on the field. And I'm like, uh, I hope this doesn't turn into that. And then I looked at the scout and I said, I love university football. And he looked back, he goes, me too. I miss this so much. So we kind of had that moment where we were, you know, appreciating the fact that we were back and we were able to enjoy it a little bit. But in terms of the actual teams that are left, I mean, I think if you're a CFL fan and you haven't been able to watch much university football this year, this analogy will make a lot of sense to you. The 2021 Grey Cup is the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to lose at this point. The 2021 Vanier Cup is the Western Mustangs to lose at this point. I, I view it very similarly, and that is not to disrespect the Saskatchewan Husky, Scott Flory, big offensive line, Adam Mackhart is, is running strong behind them. Sam Baker is a great receiver who's an Argonauts draft pick who's making a lot of plays. You know, in the University of Montreal, I've heard a lot of people, I haven't had a chance to watch much of their game film yet. I will before I call this UTEC Bowl and kind of get downloaded on a lot of the details with them with the Caravan. But I've heard their quarterback is sensational. And the way that they've got their leadership running with Anthony Calvillo being involved in the mix and all the Like th- those things all they really matter. But I-, I want people to realize just how ridiculous this is. And it's tough because. I, I know that you could have talked about this endlessly for the Yates Cup, but TV, obviously, you work in such small windows. It is unbelievable to me the way that Western is so dominant this season outside of the one loss to Guelph. I mean, they really run the table through everything else. They go through Mac. They go through uh, you know, Windsor a couple of times, who was a pretty competitive team uh, this year, and then they are able to run through an undefeated Queens team in the Yates Cup for a 29 nothing victory. And they're doing it with a first-year quarterback in Evan Hillock, which he's a St. Thomas More kid from locally here in Hamilton High School. He's got a baseball background. He can sling it. And it's like, well, that's great. You know, first-year quarterbacks have sometimes been able to hide behind uh, big offensive lines or talented running backs. It's like, well, yeah, but they're not hiding him. They're showcasing him. And, and that's a 
big, big difference. And then you look in the backfield, and it's like, well, Trey Humes is in his final year, but Keon Edwards is, you know, at the very least listed as being, uh, you know, a first-year, second-year kind of player, and he's really dominant. But this Wanati kid, <laughs> he comes into the ball game, who's a, a Sajep uh, transfer over to Western, and he's like, a list as a first year in in U Sports, but he's six four, one ninety five, two hundred pounds, whatever he is, and just a slashing, tall, lanky runner. Like I think Wanadi is the best running back that the Western Mustangs have, and he's listed as the third running back, and he can barely get any touches because they're so talented. And talking to Greg Marshall going into the Yates Cup, he essentially was saying, yeah, you know, sometimes we take our guys that could probably start for a lot of other universities and we send them down to scout team to get our defense ready for the week. I'm like, well, what a cheat code that is to be able to take the caliber and the quality of player of a Wanadi, send them down and be like, here, go impersonate Rashid Tucker, the Queen's Gale's outstanding running back before we play against him in the Yates Cup. So they're able to, to prepare at a higher level and they're able to beat you in a lot of different ways. And they're doing it with a lot of young first-year, second-year SAGEP transfer players at times. And that's incredibly unique. So whoever comes out of what should be an incredible UTEC between Montreal and Saskatchewan, I, great respect to St. FX. I think you had a fantastic year. But I think you're running into a juggernaut. And Western's going to be waiting in the Vanier Cup for whoever comes out of the other side of the bracket. And that Vanier Cup is going to be... It's going to be special because there's way too many talented players to not have that game be very, very memorable, especially like we were saying after the very long wait, because it's crazy to think, but the reigning Vanier Cup champions are the Calgary Dinos of Adam Sinegra. Uh That's how long it's been. It feels like that's an eternity, but that's that's who last won this thing. That's crazy to think. And the other crazy thing you mentioned when Audie talked to a CFL scout about him and asked for a comp. And we talked to Greg Marshall. Stylistically, he made the comp of Jesse Lumsden, which is a big one. And, you know, when you see it and even, you know, how he, you know, spats himself up in a style, you can kind of see it. Yeah. That's the scout for one in terms of the level of impact. And he said, Tyler Varga. So uh, that just puts into um, that just puts into uh, into context that you know Tyler Varga not only did he play as a freshman he was arguably you know the best player in the country uh, and when Adi is you know playing when games essentially get out of hand for Western so uh, I I suspect um, that the games will not be getting out of hand in our two CFL semis this week division semis. I hope the same is true for our U Sports National Semis. But yeah. either way, I will be watching. Thanks again for this, March. Thank you. Appreciate it, Donovan. It should be a great weekend of football again. And uh, and looking forward to seeing who comes out on top because, man, those Argos, <laughs> they're, they're waiting in the wings and they're about to be very rested and very ready for whoever comes out the other side. So it should be a great weekend. Thanks for this. So I don't know if, based on what Marsh has said, you feel strongly either way. They split the season series, and both teams won on the road. Hamilton has been the more convincing team all year, but Montreal has been on a bit of a wave since Trevor Harris has come over and solidified the quarterback position. I'm not sure who's going to take it. I am sure it's going to be a pretty good game. This weekend, it's the first one on Sunday, 1 Eastern. Don't miss it. And in between now and then, if you want some great content about 
the game in the East, the game in the West, or the Canadian game at large, CFL.ca is the place. And you can follow us on social as well. At CFL is the handle. And while you're on your phone, like, favorite, share, subscribe, tell a friend. We'll see you back on Thursday for the West Division semifinal. I'm Donovan Bennett. This has been The Waggle. The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League.